Today's reading is from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. The page numbers are given on the screen behind me. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that today your words will speak to us afresh, and we pray that by your Spirit you will give us the ability to understand and respond with humble obedience, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Do keep that passage open in front of you, we're going to be looking at it together for a few minutes just now. During the spring, we're going to be looking at various encounters with Jesus, different people through the Gospel of John who came into contact with Jesus, and as we do that, we're going to be learning what it means for us to put our trust in him, what it means for us to live our lives with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Today, we look at John the Baptist, and in John's Gospel, John the Baptist gives us the first recorded observation of Jesus. If you turn back just one page to page 1064, you'll see in chapter 1, verse 29, John's response. The next day, Jesus, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist had this clear sense of who Jesus was, why he had come. 
And we're going to be looking at his response to Jesus a little bit more over this morning in a moment. But I want us to tie that in with also some reflections for us as a church through the last year, but also a bit of a look ahead into 2020 as well. And I want to do that by beginning with a question. How important is Jesus to you? A few years ago, somebody put it like this. Is Jesus present in your life, prominent in your life, or preeminent in your life? Is he present in your life? There is some recognition of who Jesus is and what he has done. Is he prominent? He's important, along with others that are important. Or is he preeminent? Does he take the place that is above all others, recognizing that Jesus is the most important? As you think through that question, as we think through that question, we can recognize there are a number of things or people who are present in our lives, uh, sometimes prominent in our lives, sometimes preeminent in our lives. And the question we have this morning is, where is Jesus in that? One of the greatest challenges in discipleship as we follow Jesus is to keep him right at the center. We've just sung in one of our songs earlier this morning, you are our one desire. And we've sung only you are worthy of that. So hold that question and that thought in in your mind as we come to this passage. A fascinating little insight into something of what happened as Jesus was beginning his public ministry. John records some of what has been happening. And up to that point, John John the Baptist has been baptizing people. We see that in verse 22. But we see then that Jesus and his disciples were beginning to baptize more people. And the followers of John the Baptist became unsettled in that. You could sense it as Tim was reading it, couldn't you? The sense of indignation. Wait a minute. John's, John the Baptist's disciples say, you were the prominent one a moment ago, and we were glad to be following you and having that central place. All the people were coming to you to be baptized. But now not just Jesus, but actually those who follow Jesus seem to be getting more followers, more people coming. And they have this debate, a dispute, and then they bring this question to John the Baptist. What are we to do about that? So the problem was, how would these two potentially rival groups cope? If you were a rabbi, you had your disciples. Those disciples, those followers of a rabbi, would follow their rabbi with total devotion and they would follow your rabbi in everything, trying to imitate, copy them, learn from them, grow as a follower of theirs. And if your rabbi was eclipsed by somebody else, then that mattered to you, because you'd staked your life following this one. How would you cope? How would John the Baptist respond? Look at the answer that he gives, verse 27. A man can receive only what is given him, from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. And then look to the end of that paragraph, verse 30. He must become greater, and I must become less. What a great insight that is, and it's one that we'll pick up in a moment for application. But John the Baptist knows his role. He knows that his role was to prepare the way for God's chosen king. He knew that his role was to announce the arrival of God's chosen king, God's chosen savior, the one who would bring this new relationship with God into being for all those who put their trust in him. His role was to prepare the way and then to stand back and let it happen. 
and he uses this great illustration of a wedding. I don't know if you have ever been a best man waiting for a wedding to take place. And I guess one of your big commitments if you're a best man waiting for the wedding to take place is to make sure that you get the bridegroom to the church in a fit and presentable state. And if you're waiting for the bridegroom to arrive and you're the best man, then you're going to be on the edge of your chair hoping above everything else that the bridegroom arrives. Everything else is somebody else's responsibility, but your responsibility is to get the bridegroom there. And if the bridegroom doesn't turn up, then you, as the best man, are in trouble. That's John the Baptist's little illustration here. And what joy, what relief when you hear the voice of the bridegroom. And that's what John the Baptist is saying. Here is Jesus, the one that the world has been waiting for. He must become greater, I must become less. Soon as we hear the voice of Jesus, we should all be rejoicing with John the Baptist, saying, here is the Savior. Jesus is the one who had been promised. If you go right back to the beginning of John's Gospel, to how John, the Gospel writer, has explained it, he is the one through whom the world was made, for whom the world was made, and yet the world did not recognize him. John, the Gospel writer, knows who Jesus is, knows that he is the one who has been promised, knows that he is the one who will bring a new relationship with God into being. The world had been waiting for his arrival. And so he is thrilled that Jesus has come. His answer at this stage is one of total trust in Jesus. But there's another account a little bit later on in John's life, John the Baptist's life, it comes in Luke's Gospel, where John is in prison and things seem to be going not well at all. He's been in prison, he is waiting, he is wondering, were we right to put our trust in Jesus? And so he sends some of his followers who are free to go back to Jesus and ask him, are you really the one we were hoping for? Are you the one we've been waiting for? And Jesus says, look at what you see me do and see how that is a fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. And they take that word back to John. John the Baptist, in prison at that stage, would later be beheaded. And so it raises for me this question, do we trust Jesus in the good times when things are working out well, as well as in the difficult times when things are not working out so well? If Jesus is preeminent, if he is the savior of the world, the Lord of eternity, then we can trust in whatever is happening. One of the books that I read over the Christmas break is this one by Louis Giglio. I recommend it. Not a difficult read, but a really, really rewarding one. And it's entitled, I Am Not, But I Know I Am. Now that takes a little bit of unwrapping, and if you know John's phrases from later on in his gospel where God is, I am, and where Jesus says, I am, you can see where he's going with that. I am not, I am not but I know I am. There you go. That's a taster for it. A little bit later in the book, he tells this story of going to hospital where his father had been after suffering from a serious stroke and really struggling, struggling to trust God, praying every time that his father would know healing and know God's protection. And after that first visit to hospital, his father's life was radically transformed by the stroke that he had had. 
serious restrictions on what he could do. And then again, he was called at another point to go to visit his father in hospital. And because he was on the other side of the States, he flew into the hospital and visited him. And as he left his father in hospital at that time, he writes this. Once more, I was fighting back the tears. I was alone and frustrated and helpless. And he says this was his prayer. God, I've asked you before, and I'm asking you again. Please do something miraculous and heal my father tonight. I don't know if you will, but I know you can. I've taken this elevator ride and prayed this same prayer too many times to count, but on this night, something happened. A spirit of defiant trust filled my heart. All of a sudden, in my mind's eye, the cross came into view. While God had not moved in many of the ways we had hoped for regarding my dad, he had done something. He had marked history and eternity with his love and grace. And he watched his son suffer brutally and die for us. I knew in that moment that my heavenly father, like no other, fully understood my pain and my family's pain, and I believed that he loved us. My heart was heavy, but I chose to praise God right then and there. My eyes were filled with tears, but somehow through the tears I blurted out, God, I choose to worship you in the dark. And with every ounce of me, I said, let it be on record that I trust you no matter what and will praise you no matter what the outcome. Isn't that a brilliant explanation of what it means to trust in Jesus? John the Baptist, in the good times and then in prison, was able to do that. What an encouragement to us wherever we are at the beginning of this year, to make sure that our trust in Jesus is not just when things are going right, but also through the challenges as well. He is the saviour of the world. Louis Giglio writes that as he left that town, as he flew out from there, instead of the usual route that the plane took, it banked low over the town, and through his window he could see the hospital where his father was, and he had that sense as he flew past seeing it that as he saw the lights in the hospital window from above, so he could trust that his heavenly father was watching over his earthly father. A great, gracious gift that enabled him to trust. So here is John's description of John the Baptist's encounter with Jesus and the disciples, as they questioned, who is this? Go back to verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less. So back to our question for us as individuals. Where is Jesus in our lives? How important is he in our lives? Is he just present? Uh, if he's just present, maybe it's an opportunity this year for us to think again, afresh, deeper. Who is Jesus? Come on Thursday if you want to begin that journey of asking more about him. Is he prominent? He's important. But actually there are areas of your life, our life, that we haven't fully committed to him. Again, maybe now, today, is a day to put that deeper trust in Jesus. He's the one who deserves to be preeminent. That every decision, every moment, we can live under his lordship a question for us as individuals, but I think it's a question for us as a church as well. 
Are we ready to celebrate the presence of Jesus? Are we ready to go all out for his purposes for us here at Christ Church in 2020, to see him glorified, to proclaim him to our world as Lord and Savior? I want us briefly just to look back and look forwards this morning, to look back over something of 2019 and the years before that as well, and for me, two big things stand out. Firstly, last year we completed a first look at our spiritual practices, things that we can do day by day, week by week, that will help us walk more closely with Jesus. They're on the website, there are books at the back if you didn't... uh, if you weren't here when we were doing it. But we looked carefully at what it means to be community and let that practice shape our lives. Fasting, celebration, prayer, Sabbath, Bible study. These were some of the practices that we spent a number of weeks looking at, each of those. Now, you may have reviewed all of those already. But why not, at the beginning of this year, go back over those practices and think through how you, how we can let them shape our lives in 2020. They weren't just for last year, they are for life. To help us follow Jesus more closely. So, as I put that into my sermon, I then had to put in some time this week to review the spiritual practices for me for the year ahead to make sure that I was saying that with integrity. My challenge is to make sure that I don't just move on to the next things but see how they can be deeper practices for me for 2020. So I did put that in my diary for this week. Why not do something of that? Last year was a year when we were thinking how the spiritual practices can shape us and help us grow as disciples. That was the first thing that was in my mind looking back. But the second thing looking back was the big event of moving back into our building. Seeing our building transformed We wanted it to be light and bright and warm and welcoming and inspiring, honoring to our guests and glorifying to God. Praise God for all that he has enabled through that time. I'm sure it could be warmer, it could be lighter, uh, all sorts of things we can tweak and work on. But what great answers to prayer we saw during that. But the goal was not just to create a building. The goal was to see God honored and glorified here. And so in 2020, in the year ahead, we've been thinking and praying and believe that it's a year for us to lean into evangelism with a fresh sense of energy and confidence. Evangelism, that means how we go about sharing our faith in Jesus, praying for opportunities to talk with friends, praying for friends to come and discover the truth that we have discovered, having a fresh commitment to be inviting people and explaining what we believe and praying that God will open their eyes to what we have seen about Jesus. So we think this year ahead is a year when we want to be leaning into evangelism, leaning into all sorts of ways in which we can be sharing our faith and praying that God will bring people to that saving faith. Have a look to the end of the section that Tim read to us. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What a great gift that is. There's a warning as well, isn't there? Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. There's a change that takes place when we put our faith in Jesus, that we are rescued 
from eternal separation from God to be with eternally the God who has loved us and has made us for relationship with him. It's a vital mission that the church has. And I think and pray that 2020 will be a year when we see God work among us to bring people to fresh faith in him. There are a number of ways that we're hopefully planning for that and seeing that come about. One is the events that we have through this year. We've got Burns Night, uh, which we have rescued from being simply a crazy celebration to being a celebration that friends can come and have a taster of what it means to have fun in a church building. 24th or something, Friday in January. Do invite friends. It's a fun evening. It's an easy step into church and to a fun evening here. Later in May, there's a, uh, March, there's a comedy night. Again, details on the website. A comedy evening here, again, when we can invite friends in to have fun. And then in June, with a number of other churches in Kingston, there's an event at the Rose Theatre when a great, great evangelist with a good gift of communication, J. John, is going to be speaking at the Rose Theatre. Again, a wonderful opportunity for us in a straightforward, simple way to say to a friend, would you like to come just for one evening to hear somebody explain the Christian faith? Here are some events that we have that we hope and pray will enable us to lean into evangelism through this year. But it's not just events, there's the courses that are running, one beginning this Thursday, there'll be others later on in the year. Again, it may be that either you or somebody you could invite would find that a really helpful way to go deeper. And then undergirding all that, each of us can be praying wherever we are. That's one little bit that we've missed in the reading that we had. And it's a description of how we can live each day listening to God and trusting in him. Have a look back to verse 32. Sorry, it's not that. It's verse 34. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. And I think this paragraph from verse 31 is not John the Baptist continuing to speak, but is actually John the Gospel writer giving his explanation. We don't have the original uh, speech marks or know exactly where they fit. They wouldn't have been there. And the same is in the earlier part of the passage. We don't know when exactly Jesus' words finish and when John's commentary picks up. But I think from verse 31 onwards is John the Gospel writer's comment and his teaching. And what he says here in verse 34 is that Jesus is the one who speaks the words of God. This year, we can listen to his words and they are the words that give eternal life. What a great encouragement to us there to trust in Jesus, to trust in his word. When we read it day by day to know that we hear the words of the eternal God for us. But also that he is the one who gives the spirit without limit. He will give his spirit to you to enable you to live for him this year. He will give his spirit to your friend who you're praying for may come to faith. It's not just you doing your best powers of explanation. It's God by his spirit bringing new life into being. So as we finish this morning, that question, where is Jesus in our lives? Is he present? Is he 
prominent? Is he preeminent? Is he the one who we trust in? His words are the words of eternal life. His words are the ones that we can trust in. Even if we find them difficult or a challenge to us, they are the words that bring eternal life. And his spirit he promises to give without limit. What a great promise. In a moment we're going to be singing again and then sharing communion as we remember what Jesus has done for us. And then at the end of the service, there'll be an opportunity for any who've got challenges this year ahead to come forwards and we'll pray for you. A number of people will be here at the front ready to pray. And we'd love to pray if you've got particular challenges, either to trust and believe God's word or to know God's power, God's spirit at work in you, then we would love to pray for you. Just find your way up to the front and we'll pray for you here. But why don't we now just, each of us, Reflect on where Jesus is at in our lives. Would you like to stand? And I'll leave a moment of quiet and then I'll pray. Just in the quiet, maybe that verse 30 will come to our minds. John the Baptist's comment on Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. What will it mean for Jesus to take his rightful place in your life? Father, we know that for some of us here today, we have made that decision that you are our Savior and our Lord. We've asked you to be the preeminent one, the one above all in our lives. We've said you are our one desire. You alone are worthy of our praise. We've said that and yet we've slipped from that. And we pray that today you will renew our love for you, our trust in you. You will take that central place in our life that only you deserve. Will you come now as our Lord and our Savior? And Lord, we know that for others of us here today, that's a decision we've not yet made. But it's one we may be feeling our way towards. And we pray that you will continue to speak to us words of life and that you will give your spirit without limit, a spirit of understanding that gives life. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will be revealing yourself to us. And for each of us, as we come to the communion table shortly. May we remember the sacrifice that brings life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.